took a week off there in between and it was nice to just get some space to regroup, relax, slow down from the momentum of life, the busyness of life, the never-ending to-do lists. I think I speak I think I speak for most of us when I say the just how easy it is to be caught up in the the things, the doing, and we forget about being and this practice, you know, that I'm always learning of where can I use more no's? Where can I choose my life more deliberately and more intentionally? Often we wear busyness as a badge of honor, as look at how busy I am, look at how much stuff I have. And I'm like, maybe we should wear a badge of honor of slowness, you know, of just this movement through time that feels like molasses. Uh, that's coupled with uh, high intensity bursts, of course. It's like a little New York, a little Vancouver, you know, a little mixture, a little balance. And I think that practice of recognizing that we choose our lives, we decide what's in them, we set the standards. And that's that forever healing of, of people who don't like this word generally, but codependency. This need to be significant, this need to have things, this need to help others, this need, all of it can become where we forget about ourselves. We forget about our own anchors, the things that matter, that keep us grounded, that keep us safe, especially in busy times and especially in times of transition. Anchors are things like working out, sleeping, eating well, time with friends, meditation, they're the very things we need most when life is busy and chaotic and a lot, but they are often the first things to go. And so I invite you to feel into what your practice is for yourself, for slowing down, for taking care of you. Oh, because that can feel, you know, if we don't put ourselves first ever, it will feel like we are being selfish. And of course, there's a line where we can put ourselves first and no one else ever gets access to us. Those are walls, not boundaries. Um, but sometimes we need to get selfish to first learn what selfishness is, what self-care is. Uh, we have to sort of dance in the lines to learn. And isn't that the beauty of life is learning our edges so we can find the middles, you know? And I've probably been deeping, uh, deepening. I mean, I've probably been deep diving within these things and thinking so much about them because I just created a course on boundaries. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, when you create something and uh, everything I teach, I live, you know, that's a big practice of mine. And in a lot of ways, that's why I started my work was to hold myself accountable to being in, in the integrity of what I say. If you at all feel drained, overwhelmed, like you give too much, like you overshare, like you don't feel safe within your own life experience in terms of having peace and quiet and comfort and the ability to say no, you take on other people's feelings. Any of those things, which I think is so much the human experience. I just created this course. It's $98. I priced it super low because I wanted everyone to have access to it. It is a deep dive in boundaries and then a practice and a learning of how to set them, where you need them, why you don't have them, <laughs> you know, all of the things. And if you want to check that out, all you got to do is go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash create the boundaries. So bit, B-I-T dot L-Y slash create 
the boundaries. This week has another guest who is a returning guest, because I think this subject is one that is not explored enough. I really think as a society, we and our education system, you know, not about teachers, because I value teachers so much. I love teachers and they do an incredible job. This is about the actual content that we put within our education system, which is finance, which is money. Money is an energy. Money is so much a large component of how we get access to things that contribute to our well-being. And it's a it's fascinating to me that the three most important things that we will need to learn about in our life are food, money, and relationships. And those don't tend to be things that we are taught about in the very foundational education system that we have, depending where you live and probably your own level of wealth, because there are some, I know some private schools and some public schools that are beginning to teach relational stuff. So I wanted to dive deeper into this story with Selena Gray because for me, this has been an ongoing learning too, coming from so many different messages as a kid, growing up um, with not very much, and why I won't, I wouldn't allow myself the ability to even carry a positive bank balance. It's so interesting when you get into the psychology of these things. And the reason I talk about all things relationally, food, body, money, people, friends, work, is because your work won't just lie in your romantic relationships. Your boundaries, your worth will be evident in what you allow and the stories you live by, even in your purpose and in your in your relationship to money. So I invite you to be open to the possibility of changing your story, to be open to the possibility of taking a look at your relationship to money. Selena's an amazing human, such a tremendous human. And she's so much fun and she's so open and transparent and vulnerable in this episode. And before we begin, I wanted to make one small request. If wherever you listen to this podcast, you could go give it a five-star review and a written review that is so helpful. And if you enjoy this episode or any others, please share them. If you do it on Instagram, please tag me. I love that. I appreciate that. And just share what was your favorite part. So without further ado, here is Selena Gray. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. It is with great pleasure that I reintroduce, not myself, but Miss Selena Gray. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Happy to see you. So Selena Gray was on a previous podcast episode, if you haven't heard her before, and she is an expert at the relationship with money. Is that an accurate description of, I mean, your job title isn't that, but what's your, what do you call call yourself? Yeah, I like to really deep dive into our relationship with money, empowerment with money, really dig into the shame around money. So all the money, I'm officially a CPA, CA. Lots of long-winded titles, but I'm just a student of conscious wealth. That's it. I think that's such a different way of perceiving money. I know in the, and I don't think we can ever stop doing enough work on anything relational, but money, money is so triggering for people. You know, it's triggering. There's a lot of emotion attached to money. So tell us a little why 
That is true. Oh my goodness. Everyone, no matter how much is in your bank account, gets triggered around money. And the experience of triggering with your cash flow is entirely unique because we have not been taught to process emotions around money. We've been encouraged to suppress emotions around money. Mm. We've been taught that money is a reflection of our success. And if we don't have enough, and for many of us, there is never enough money, then we are always striving and we're never arriving and we're constantly in a shame cycle. And I found myself in that place and it nearly ended my life with my pursuit of wealth. And so I just love this topic. I have my entire life, but we need to have a voice. Whether you have $50 million in the bank or you are struggling being completely debt riddled, the conversation around establishing a nourishing relationship with money is very unique, but it's very much the same. It's about harnessing inner richness and getting to know yourself, your triggers, and building a plan so that you feel safe and create rituals to honor yourself with it from the moment you are really aware of your relationship to money all the way until you perish. Money is with us forever. We have to do the work around it. There's no question. Yeah, it's interesting because so much of our, as you said, the conversation about money is shame-inducing. We're told not to talk about it. It's sort of parallels uh, the conversation that we have around sex, which we don't tend to have. Like they're sort of put into a same similar box. Interestingly, we exchange money for sex and sex for money. So it's an interesting way that these systems that we don't explicitly communicate about. And when we want to talk about it, because it's not an outward conversation, it's not something that you get wisdom from, from other people, unless, you know, they've they've had a conversation with someone like yourself yeah. and your journey into it is, is fascinating. Like so many of the people that come on this podcast, it's that are, we become the teacher we seek, you know, we seek mastery in areas that have caused us great pain and then we can teach from those spaces. And, and so in your experience, cause I know when you cause you became a master of money. I mean, you became a CA, you became a CPA, you became responsible for everything to do with freaking money. and you know, with companies, you were a controller. Is that right? Yes. You did that for a little while. That sounds, I hate to tell you, but that job title controller just sounds boring. I just, <laughs> I did an undergrad in finance and I like, I remember being in class being like, this is this, I've never taken an Ambien, but I'm pretty sure my finance degree was about the same as the highest dose of Ambien to sleep. It was about the same. That's how it felt. But for you, you loved it. Well, we're all unique. We're all gravitating to our specific path. So yeah, I loved it. So I, there was no sense for me to love money in the family I grew up in. Like we were lower middle class. There was lots of debt. There was lots of fighting around money and I loved it. I was always curious about it. I was a hustler before a hustler was a term like 30 plus years ago. I was, did you have a lemonade booth? No, no. I was selling magazines and Oh, you bypass lemonade. Shit. I was selling to little ladies on my street until they hid from me and I could still see them out behind the trees. I was like, okay, I better try something else. Yeah, that's like stocking meat sales. Yeah, but I was five, so I was damn cute. Oh, you're a five. Never mind. That's I was damn cute. And I was like, I'm gonna convince all of my family to hire me to do odd jobs. And I realized straight up that when I got money into my life. 
I created freedom for myself, whether or not that meant I could make decisions on what I wanted to buy because my parents were, you know, not really knowledgeable. It wasn't safe space to talk about money. It was always someone was fighting about it. There wasn't enough of it. We hated all the wealthy people around us. And I use that with air quotes because we were just different from them and there was an inherent not enoughness. And so I'm so proud of my little self in knowing that money opened doors and that I was interested in it enough to pursue that path, even though it wasn't something my parents really admired. Like I was the first person in my immediate family to go to university. And of course it was around money because it was my favorite topic. Yeah. And it's interesting how my childhood actually framed my experience of finance class, because when we were kids, we didn't see our parents talk about money. I didn't see lots of money. We didn't have money. We were again, lower middle class or maybe a bit below that. And I don't even know some range in there, but the, we didn't talk about money. So then when I had to attend a class that was about money, I remember just not wanting to talk about it. Like I would basically, my eyes would glaze over. That still kind of happens, but I stay present to it because I know it's such an important aspect of energy. And isn't that interesting when you're like, even the word controller back when we were talking, you're like, it's not interesting. It's not fun. And you're now pulling in your finance class. And this is the general reaction, right? Because if we're not in tune to talking about it, it becomes a foreign thing that we don't feel attracted to. And we're like, I don't understand this. I guess I'll have to go to this class, but I'm not excited about it. Where I took the opposite. I was like, damn, I need to learn this stuff. I need to create money in my life because immediately I recognized how it could create freedom for me. Mm, Where was the pain of that born? the touchy topics that money really gets to the heart of it. This is the inner richness work that I speak of. And I would have never understood it then, but it was very clear to me early on that I was never enough for my mom. My mom used to say words like, I don't know why we had you, you know, never do anything right. And I just felt very much like I was never enough for her. I was like an overachieving student. I would get like a hundred on an exam and she'd be like, where's the 102 from last week? It didn't matter how much I strove or how much I watched over my little brother or how many awards I got in my academics or my athletics. I was an annoyance to her. And my pursuit of wealth was a bit of a protection. It was, I'm going to find a way for her to love me. And I'm going to change the, the, the course of my life. I don't want to grow up like I did in my parents' home. I want to have safety. I didn't have any idea what that meant then, but money somehow seemed like a gateway I could run to. And it consumed my life after that point because I had no idea that as children, we just want our mothers to love us for who we are. And I never had that. And I can 100% understand and have compassion for my mom now because I've done decades of work on this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm still fucking angry about it. And that means it's an invitation to do more work always. But the layers of work around my mother has been so unbelievably 
informative to who, who and what I want to do in this life and what money means to me. And I think that truly is the work. We see that money is just this external thing around us. We buy things, we bury our emotions. We don't understand that the, the languaging in our subconscious mind is literally our parents or our teachers or someone in our formative childhood years who are talking to us about how we are not enough or we're not valuable. And my narrative was, I'm going to work hard until my mom actually notices me and loves me. So I began working like a workhorse. My dad worked a tremendous amount of hours. I deeply admired him. He was, he was in the same hustle for the love. Same hustle for the love. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. And it was like, even in my work with you, Mark, it's really become clear that my lifelong pursuit has all been all rooted in trying to get my mom to love me for who I really am. Well, it's such a beautiful transformation that I have observed in your relationship with her. And I think the gift in, I mean, there's obviously so many gifts in your experience, much like in my own, in our lives up until this moment. And for those of you that don't know, like Selena and I are great friends too. So if I seem uh, like, if I say something and you're like, he doesn't know her, you shouldn't say that. Uh, we do know each other quite well. So the the gift in that is that I, I find that our rock bottoms are found in relationship to anything. You know, they're always found in relationship. That's where our pain is born. That's where we heal. And our relationship to anything, that's why I love having someone like yourself on here, because for someone who has a thriving relationship with a romantic partner and friends, they might have a really, you know, challenging relationship to their bank account, to money in general, to bankruptcy, to their career, uh, their purpose. And if we can find those spaces of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say dysfunction, but the challenges that we have, we can identify those patterns within the relationship to money. And there's always healing that's there. You know, there's always healing. And the healing is limitless. I find that the money wounding that we have is really nothing about money at all. There is not one thing to do with numbers inside our money wounding fully. It may have correlation to numbers, but it's always rooted in some kind of relationship to ourselves, to our parents, to a sibling, to a traumatic event. You know, the relationships around it and the languaging and the trauma we perceive in that gets held in tightly because we don't have safe space to talk about that wound as it relates to money. So it's the vehicle in which we hide our truths. Mm, that's fascinating in that and also in the, in the different messages that both genders are transforming through one that men take care of women and be a provider. And I'm speaking in a heteronormative sense, but that's historically what we've observed. So men take care of the women. So men need to make money. So if they don't make money, they don't have significance. And now women don't want to end up abandoned if there was a divorce or a separation, never depend on anyone. I have to have my own back. I have to be independent. I have to make my own money. And there being these two silos that we often live in. And there's so much healing available in the transformation through understanding that story too. Because I, I meet so many women, I'm sure you do too, because you work with so many in the area of wealth. And you are yourself a very you know, high achieving female who identifies as you know, being independent. And, but you have space for someone in your life. And I think but for I so long. Always. Right. So, so that's that story 
Yes. So there's like a few different thoughts on this, right? We either want someone to save us or we want no one to save us and we will do it all on ourselves from the the woman's perspective, typically. Is that all-inclusive? Absolutely not. But that tends to be the genres in which we see. And for my story, at 22, I was like, I am going to pursue money and and I used it as a vehicle to run from my pain. And so I I got a this controller job that we talked about. It was for an international company. <laughs> Super exciting, uh, really invigorating job. It actually was. Um, <laughs> 12 countries worldwide at a team of 30 ninjas underneath me, finance ninjas. Come on, Mark, you gotta love. Yeah, I do love that. I do. I feel good about it now. And it was fun. I was presenting budgets to international governments. I was at embassy parties. I was. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Now I was yes. dressed from head to toe in labels, expensive labels, and I used them all as masks. You know, and there are certain moments that stand out in our life. And when I I became a student of conscious wealth, which I'll get into, but at that moment, I realized what I was actually doing to myself was a collection of stories, small moments from my past. And there was one moment in high school where I was bullied for bringing no-name pretzels to school. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but you know how everyone- No, I could see that happening. I used, I got picked on once for having no-name Coke. See, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know what I was talking about. I know what you're talking about. Taste worse too, let's be honest. You do, and I was ashamed because I only had enough cash to buy the no-name pretzels. And my mom- you know, as for all the lessons she taught me, some of them were really valuable in that she always had me buy my own things for school. She was not giving me any money for these pretzels. So I went to school, brought the pretzels. The kids were like, these are disgusting. You're such an idiot. And just started name calling me. And that moment transcended time for me. And fast forward to my adult self, flying first class around the world, dressed in labels no one was ever going to call me no name again. That's what those pretzels represented. Mm. It was no name. And that I did everything to carry masks and ensure I had labels so that people would see me as valuable, that I could so raise for how I am and how I was at that, that time. And had I not done the conscious money work I did, I never would have made that correlation. And it's really a collection of tiny, small moments that imprint on us and we bury them because it's not safe in our society to talk about being shamed with money. And sometimes the shaming has nothing directly to do with money, but it's all about our internal value system. And so then we wear masks and hide from our truth so that we are accepted. And all of that correlates to money because it stops us from going after amazing relationships with clients, yeah. it stops us from starting businesses we desperately want. We also stop ourselves from spending in a way that honors our life because it's a shame spiral and it's hard to stop it without taking a pause and understanding how we are betraying ourselves with the masks. I think of like how hard it is because I'm correlating it to love, right? To relationship and thinking of how hard it is to receive a gift from people sometimes to actually be supported, to actually have someone support us in terms of money and, and just what that energetic actually means that we are receiving. And it's so hard to receive love often. It's easy to Give, and don't get me wrong, there's people out there who are experts at getting gifts, I'm sure of it. But they're, you know, that we have, we're easy at giving love. We can give and give and give. And there's a lot of people who identify as that givers, givers, giver. I give and give and give. And no one takes care of me. And it's like, have you ever sat down and just let someone 
Do you deny all the help you get, compliments, you know, that kind of thing? And I would love to say we receive at the expense of what? For those of us who just receive with expectation, like there is so much truth in giving and receiving. And if one feels off to you, what a beautiful invitation to do some work and get curious about the trigger in either giving or receiving, because it doesn't matter your relationship to money. There are layers of this work. And the more we are human and the more we show up and say, there's work to be done and I have to understand who I really am, then the work of the money really begins. Because you can, that's why no one can stick to their budgets because it's not, (laughs) it's numbers oriented, it's restrictive in nature. But when we change our perspective and say, what do I need to feel safe? How do I create safety in my money? as it relates to my relationships, as it relates to me stopping the betrayal process on myself with it being, what is enough for me? How can I feel valuable without my masks? That is the true work. How can I be valuable without my masks? That's that performance-based love, right? The perfectionist, the curse of the high achieving perfectionist. That's been me most of my life, you know? So when I was working overseas, I was working 120 hour weeks. Guess what I was doing? Playing out the story that I was a workhorse and I could receive money because I was valuable being an overachieving workhorse. And so the money came to me. Yes, it was great. But I was ignoring that I had no inner richness. I was ignoring that my body was starting to give out on me, that I had you know, rashes, that my heart was palpitating, that I was having GI stomach issues, that I had no energy, that I was taking steroids. I ignored all of that because it was externally the praise, the power, the wealth that I was feeling from my board of directors, from my teams that kept me going until my body and the universe was like, girl, uh uh-uh. And I ended up passing out in my office in Tunisia, flew back home to Canada and was in the hospital for weeks. I, that was my like breakthrough. That was your rock bottom. Yeah. Because I couldn't be a workhorse anymore. I was devastated. I remember this is the days of the Blackberry, like back in 2000. And I was like, I have some friends who still have those holding on tight, holding on tight. One day they'll be valuable. Um, I was just like consumed that I couldn't work. I kept saying to the doctors, I'm like, when can I get out of here? This is something minor. It's an ulcer. Fix me. I'm out. And it wasn't. And I was on IV steroids and blood transfusions. I couldn't eat for 11 days. Wow. My hair and eyelashes were falling out. I gained 40 pounds of fluid in less than 48 hours because I was so fucked up. And I just, I didn't understand the gravity of what my perfectionism and my pursuit of seeking external value did to me. And at this point, like I had been doing this for years. I had got married and divorced within a year. I was seeking unhealthy love from the pattern stemming from my mom. And I didn't understand that when money flowed to me, I was just using it as a tool to hide my pain. I was buying more things. I wasn't understanding that the truth of the matter was that I had no inner richness. And so if you're listening to this and you may not relate to my story exactly, but if you've had moments where you're bypassing feelings or you're feeling the anxiety overtake you, 
it's an invitation to show up for yourself, to start feeling as it relates to money, because we don't do that. We aren't taught to feel, we're taught to bury. And then it gets so bad. The deafening noise around us gets so bad that we have no choice but to do something. And we don't have to break down fully with money. The beautiful thing about money is every moment we wake up is a new opportunity to change our relationship, to have it be healthy, to have it be one step, one small inspired action, more in tune to who we really are. So when you, how old were you when you were hospitalized? It was in 2011, so my later 20s. And how long, if you like look back, how many times did you had like a nudge from the universe and then a two by four and then before the dump truck? Oh, it started in high school. My very first two by four, I got mono because I was um, completely overachieving. I was on, you know, multiple sports teams, complete competing in professional provincial competitions. I was having three odd jobs. You know, I was never at home. I was always working. I didn't ever have any white space in my calendar, no free time. There was no concept of meditation or relaxation <laughs> then. It was like Yeah, we're we're in the same cohort. Meditation was for other people. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't know them. I didn't hang out with those people. I I don't even know anyone who meditated when I was young. Like I never heard of meditation until yoga came out. I, I definitely didn't hear. Like I was from a tiny town farming community. There was no meditation. And I remember writing a final exam in high school with an IV in my arm. And what? yeah, I was now like, that'd be a vitamin IV, but back then that's a real IV. Hell yeah. What the heck? Okay. So in that, so the hustling for love, I mean, you already said that started really young and I think it's important for the people who are listening, who might identify as high achievers or perfectionists or both, because those usually go hand in hand, is that what often happens is, is even if we do get a relationship or a job or, a, you know, but generally relationship, we'll always wonder if they love us for us or for who we are and what we've achieved. So the, the, the imposter lives with the perfectionist always. Those always. two go hand in hand. It's a common denominator. And for me, because I was always running from everything, I kept safety in my relationships. I didn't allow myself to feel. I went on dates with people I didn't really like. It was taking up time and space because no one was getting to my heart for real. This was just like me going through the motions of life. I never allowed myself to feel. I wore my masks with pride. So when you finally got, I mean, the universe was like, hey, we've been trying to send you this message. We shipped it to you. We hit you in the head with it. So now you don't have a choice. Like you're going to have to learn to receive. You're going to have to learn to slow down. How did your life begin to transform there? Like, did it change right away? Or what was sort of the transformation to, you know, the, the lovely woman I know today? So 100% saw sprinkles of it. Then even when I was working overseas, I just blamed it on eating foreign food or I would wear sunglasses when my eyes would be inflamed and couldn't see out of them and still like have my eyes two inches from my laptop. And in that moment in the hospital, I realized that the life I knew was over and I mourned it for a very long time. I had so little energy for the months that followed. I could barely get out of bed. And I was obsessed with not being enough. I, I didn't know what to do. I missed my work so much. And a nurse told me about the book Spirit Junkie by Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm, yeah. 
and I digested it immediately and then read another one of her books and did a mind, body, spirit cleanse for 30 days. I went, you know, into the inner workings of myself. And I really related to the addiction she had to drugs was like my addiction to work. And that feeling of loneliness. I remember a pivotal moment of me laying in my closet surrounded by, you know, really expensive clothing, all the things that I had loved so deeply when I wore my masks and they were meaningless. I remember just laying in the fetal position in my closet saying like, universe, God, who's ever out there, like, help me see this. I don't see this. I don't understand this. My, my life felt like it had no meaning. And I think it was the combination of me burying all of the feelings over the course of my life. And since then, since that moment has been a series of me getting to know myself in ways that honor what I really want, that I don't have to be like anyone else, that I don't have to be saving my money like anyone else. I don't have to be spending my money like anyone else. I can create life on my terms. And part of that is just allowing and surrendering to within, to asking, what do I need to feel safe? And going about creating it. And for me, that was starting my own business because I could no longer work in the corporate world. And I was so fucking passionate about helping other people, humans, women, whoever, understand that we had it wrong, that this idea of money externally was was killing us, really. That it was creating something that was very artificial and lonely and isolating and perpetuated our not enough cycles. And so I created Money Boss. It wasn't called that back then, but I really wanted to help women change how they saw money and the role it played in their life so that they didn't have to be trapped in relationships that made them feel small or stopped them from earning because they were trapped in their decisions and what money represented in their life. And, And that's really the work is that we can know, no matter where we came from, that doing the work represents opportunities in ways we could never see before. Well, I can speak for, as someone who has worked with you on my relationship to money, you can have completely transformed my life and my relationship to uh, self-worth in the ability to actually believe that I can have a positive balance in my bank account. Now, that sounds so weird to say, because I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, what do you mean you can, I would just always lean into line of credits. I'd always lean into credit card balances and I would get bursts of commissions usually from work and my old job. And then I'd pay it off and then I'd go back again into the red. And there was something so fearful about being in the green. I didn't know how to hold it. I didn't know how to hold a balance. It felt more uncomfortable, which once we got into the psychology of that, you know, I, I growing up where I grew up, it was interesting that the me- the messages I received about wealth were things like, uh, you know, rich people are dishonest. That, uh, and I never because I never watched my parents. I, we were always buying. I always got secondhand clothes and hand me downs, and so there was something even about that that I never wanted to feel the way I felt as a kid. So I would never allow myself to have the secondhand thing. I would go buy the new thing and put myself into debt for it just so crazy to think that I was buying things I couldn't afford and then ending up in the red and staying in the red, like freaking, what do they call it? The ostrich. I was ostrich. I was like in my finance class when I was falling asleep. That's, that's why it's so uh, indicative of my life up until I met you. And it's so important that we have the power of our own story. 
to allow yourself to get curious about your past, to say, wow, yeah, I really didn't want to have secondhand clothes. Like it represented to me that I wasn't enough and I was never going to have that. And that recognizing we have the power to shift that and redefine what that represents to you. Now you can buy anything secondhand because you're no longer triggered by it. And you're like, that's fine. And redefining safety in the green zone was of utmost importance for you because we find safety in what we're doing, just like your work with love. It's safety to be on the roller coaster of relationships rather than getting to know who we really are. It's exactly the same around money. We reestablish our safety because we commit to no longer betraying ourselves. We commit to standing in our truth. We go into the past as a curious observer without judgment. We hold space for those moments. We hold space for the people who were in those moments, most of whom were doing the very best they could. Because don't forget, this stuff is generational. It's trauma at a cellular level. So when your mom or your dad or whoever told you these things, it was likely told to them. And when we think about the trauma of the things they went through as children, the depression or whatever generation they endured, of course we can have compassion for them saying those things. And if we hold space for our own possibilities and then say, what is my legacy going forward is to free myself from that because it's literally just a subconscious thought that's no longer serving us. And we can free ourselves from it. It's just that simple. Man, to be able to observe the messages you were taught as kids about money, also love, but money and love, because it's usually taught by the people who taught us love. I think of my parents, like grew up really poor. And one of the challenges when we did this work, and for anyone listening, you might uh, relate to this, is that because I love my parents and I'm like, you know, I got secondhand clothes and hand-me-downs from my two older siblings. There was a part that was like, I'm not worthy of the new thing. That's why you won't buy me the new thing. Why can't you just pay another $10 and buy me that thing? And also the other part of it, this feeling of feeling guilty for feeling that way, because I know that they're doing the best they can. Now, as an adult, I can make that make sense, but you have to clear that. I had to clear that sort of resentment that was in the way. Clearing the resentment is so important because a lot of the time when we think back to that moment, parents aren't taught to have money conversations with their kids. They're not, we're not taught to say, hey, it's rent or a mortgage or groceries and we're just optimizing our family cash flow. You know, we're, we're buying this once and getting multiple use out of it. We don't understand how that lands in children. So for us to take that perspective and have compassion for education and the lack thereof around how we feel money shows up in the family unit and instead get curious about that and then say the resentment I feel about that is literally them doing the best they could based on the education they had and I can decide differently and that's exactly what you did you decided to have conversations with them about it because that felt safe for you for other people that might be writing letters or writing and journaling and burning it to free yourself from it. Like we, we lean into the tools that Mark speaks all the time about love and we can apply that logic into money. I'm sure for people listening, that is kind of mind blowing, right? Cause I don't think we actually conceptualize money as being this thing that can, I mean, we know that if we have lots of it, our life will likely be a little better, 
you know, but even when you look at the relative increase in well-being and happiness, I think it's beyond 70,000. It actually doesn't, once you make 70,000 a year, the incremental benefit is so minute based on making more money. It's sort of like once your lowest Maslow's needs are met, yes. you know, and we are blessed to be, well, Selena and I are both Canadian. So we have a healthcare system that is just guaranteed. Once you have that guaranteed, that makes a huge difference. So in places where that's not true, if you're listening, I mean, I have so much compassion for that. I can't even imagine what that's like, you know, to not have that baseline need met. The ultimate in stress. Yeah. Like it just causes a minute or max or a lot cortisol just being like, what happens if I get sick? What happened? You know, and, and it perpetuates the same systems and cycles that don't educate us. And that's why those mindsets end up being inherited and they end up staying in the same systems. And that's why wealth circulates upon the wealthy consistently too. And I want to really honor the fact that wealth isn't just about what's in our bank account. Like some of the best lessons I took from my time as a controller in my corporate career was going into some of the poorest of nations in Africa and seeing the joy that existed. And it really showcased to me that we allow ourselves to be influenced by things. And in their reality, joy was prominent because they didn't know what they weren't experiencing. And then I would come back home to North America and see everyone feeling so upset for what they didn't have. And I think it's such a beautiful reminder to lean into gratitude. And I know it can be hard when we have mounting bills and a lot of stress, but really that's the way to create freedom is coming right back to this very moment and feeling strongly into the depths of our soul, what we are grateful for, the breath that we breathe, you know, the air that we're soaking in and how it permeates into our cells, the food that we eat, and recalibrating ourselves into this shift from we don't have enough to, wait a second, I can see this differently. And I think that having more money is not always better for people. Like we have this mm-hmm. illusion that people who have all of this money have easier lives. And I can say with certainty uh, that clients who've had a tremendous amount of money or as my wealth has increased, it doesn't always get easier. There's new challenges. They say more money, more problems, right? <laughs> it's really about creating a baseline of inner richness and inner richness is unique for us. So I really challenge you to go about creating a life that feels good inside. And when you are triggered by external numbers, to get curious about them, because those will never go away, but our reaction to them will. And what our reaction does is allow us to make different decisions that can change the patterns in our life. Like for me, I really want you to go up and go out there into your life and say, today I get to choose. When we realize that the power is from within, doors open. And when we realize, like for me, creating my own business, if I didn't do that, I couldn't have functioned optimally in a corporate environment anymore. Now I've created a business around my autoimmune disease. I've created a business around helping people and I get to decide what clients I work with that really light me up. And there's tons of strategy and mindset tools around this. But if you're in a cycle that you don't like, you need to convince yourself that you are worthy of change and make one step towards it each and every day, because otherwise the pattern will not shift. It's so correlated to everything. 
You know, you change that one space between stimulus and response, that one space between trigger and reaction in your response to money, to balances, to checks, to bills, to all the things, just like how you're in a conversation with someone and you feel rejected and you actually choose a different response, your whole life changes. That's why I love this work that you're taking conscious wealth and it's so related to the skill set that is about transforming everything in your life. You know, you learn how to receive, you learn how to get your power back and really use it as a form of like you took your greatest pain and turned it into how you make money. Yeah, I, I literally did. And I speak about it on stage and I talk through this with people who feel so much shame. They can't speak about it with anybody else. And how amazing and freeing is that, that we can take the biggest source of pain and turn that into cash flow. And that is like the ultimate thing. You know, when we think it's impossible, I always say to people who are like starting their businesses, there is nothing like owning your own business to have all your wounds thrown in your face. <laughs> yeah, truth. Part two, but what an awesome opportunity to rise. So in the, for people listening, if they're like, okay, this sounds good. I'm ready to change my relationship with money. You know, what, the, what is sort of a first step that you recommend for people and yeah, walk us through how how do we make that those ends, you know, make that money? So one of the very first things I always suggest people do is get curious about what's showing up today that's triggering them as in lightning bulb moments to them remembering the very first time they didn't feel valuable or remembering the very first time they heard that people around them were wealthy and therefore bad, going back to those pivotal moments to give insight into the subconscious wording they're hearing inside their mind so that they can go about shifting it. So that's first and foremost, is paying attention to the dialogue in your day-to-day life so you can be aware of it. Because for many of us, we've not been taught to think about money this way. So having a heightened awareness is critical. The second is to literally get it out of your mind whenever possible, whether that's on your phone or journaling exercise, you need to have the pattern interruption to move it onto paper in some form. Write it down exactly as you hear it. Then we need to really start understanding, is this the truth or is this a lie? Because our mind has proven to us, it's created those automations with neural pathways. And we really need to convince ourselves that that's not in fact what's happening. So we have to go about understanding how we're going to refute it. And some of it will be about writing down consciously the things we know that are untrue about it. And the other, the powerful thing can be thinking about someone you deeply love. Like in my case, my four-year-old daughter, if I were to articulate to her the things that roll inside my brain, like who am I to feel valuable? Could I consciously say that to her and feel nothing? Could I look her in the eye and say, who are you to feel valuable? If we won't say that to the people we deeply love, why are we saying it to ourselves? And often when we make that you know, connection with someone that we love and have the heightened awareness and go back to those moments, we can start seeing stories that no longer serve us in our money story. And that is doing the work. And will this be a quick change? No. But that awareness allows us to create new levels of safety. So I want you to start looking in your life in areas you need safety. So when your gut is not feeling good or you're feeling, you know, your skin crawling or your breath feeling tightened when money decisions are coming up, ask yourself and ask your body, 
what do I need to know here? And start actually listening to within. I'll often take my clients through an exercise where I'll have them in that moment, close their eyes and listen in to what's speaking from their heart or their mind or their soul about what feels off about that. And then asking, how do I go about creating safety and listening to the very first thing that comes to mind. And for some people that's, I need a thousand dollars in my account. That means I can't use credit cards. That means I'm no longer going to fight about money with my husband. I'm no longer going to be buying into the fact that stay-at-home moms aren't the CEOs of their life. That just because they're not earning money doesn't mean they're inherently valuable. External money transactions aren't going to take me out. You know, when you start going about creating a safety list in what do I need to do and take inspired actions towards it. And part of the work for me is creating rituals. Rituals in knowing that we can leverage meditation or breath work. You know, why do you think soldiers use it? It's a good tactical response for ourselves. And go about having conversations and creating accountability for yourself with other people because what we need to stop is money being isolating that we can no no longer talk to anyone about our shame around money. Like we need to be able to stand in our truth and say, these things feel icky. This part of my story, I'm not proud of. And what can I do about it? And a lot of the work, even in my own life, I was very shameful to stand on stage and say like, my mother stole money from me. And when I think about why that feels shameful, it goes back to inherent love. Like my mother didn't love me enough to trust that she had enough money, that she couldn't make conscious enough decisions and that she needed to invade my life and my bank account. And all of that felt unsafe. So for me to unpack that, I need to go back to understanding that I can see myself through my own lens. That if I parent myself in that moment, that the shame story is, is no longer serving me that I can be powerful in my own right and I can go about creating safety. So for me, you know, one of my responses to that is typically to overgive because I, that's my inherent response. So I have to consciously choose not to. And so we just get to know ourselves. We ask ourselves these questions and we get curious and, and really hold on to the lack of judgment. I define holding space as being in the mud, being willing to feel without judgment. And you can do that with your spouse. You can do that with your child. You can do that with yourself. And so all of this work really comes back down to what is it you want from this life? And if money is stopping you, decide today that you're going to change that and get curious about your past, get curious about your languaging, get curious about creating safety, and then take one action at a time. And what I know to be true is we will fail. We're going to continue to have money failures. I will, Mark will, whatever. It's the human condition. But how we choose to spend is a direct reflection of how we choose to love ourselves. Money is just love. When we get back to that basic form, how are you betraying your self-love as it relates to how you show up in your life and spend money and receive money and earn money? Damn, that's like a sermon. That's beautiful. And you could literally take every step you just said and do it with any relationship to anything. So if money's not the thing, it could be your relationship to your partner. It could be your relationship to your parent. It could be like, where were you taught the lessons early in life? How are you being asked to change? What are your feelings teaching you? How are you being asked to grow? And then fuck an adult, 
you know, <laughs> like, and then add some money strategies on the back end because it's partially mindset, partially strategy. I would argue about 50 50. So, what's the strategies? So, the strategies is stop fucking not looking at your money. Oh, that's yeah, like I did. That's great. Yeah. Like, it's a good strategy. When you're hiding from it, go, why am I doing this? What story is this playing out? And why am I going to change it? And when you look at your numbers, Instead of shaming yourself for a transaction, go, oh man, I really love dinner out with my friends where we spent $300. It was incredible. We had some epic moments. I'm so grateful for that. But I'm not going to do that again because I'm going to spend in the ways that really light me up and bring me value and joy. And you go about creating practical action steps behind it. So you master your bank accounts. You get clear on what's coming in and what's going out. You celebrate both sides. Like I, I made you do this. I had you sprinkle money around your house and really honor when you saw the money to say out loud what it is you need from money in this life and how you will honor it. And then the practical side is like, you need to actually have accounts that honor what you want to do in your life and watch it. And when you go against what you say you're going to do, say why, and then go about changing it. You did it. So I had Selena... And her her business, they went through my bank accounts and titled them things that I love and that I want. And then set up auto withdrawals. And I am not a saver by design because my job is to get rid of all my money so that I never have money, so that I live in a perpetual cycle of not feeling like I'm wealthy. So I don't hate myself because I was taught to not like wealthy people. And interestingly, as those auto deposits come out, money gets saved because I would have never done it myself. So the auto withdrawals, sorry, not the, well, I guess they're both. So those start to build a balance in different accounts. And I'm like, wait, I'm actually saving money. This is crazy. And then on the other side of that, that has totally, so that's changed my relationship to money in a lot of ways. And also just observing how I feel as it gets in the green, because it becomes very, it becomes very uncomfortable. You know, where I'm like, wait, I have money now. I have a balance in my bank account. And just so many things have come from that beautiful experience of observing the feelings, what comes up for me. And it's been a really beautiful gift. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for all your help with it. Yeah, it's been my honor. And I think that it's more simple than one things, but it's not easy, like everything. And so we create fun bank account names. So it keeps you inspired to keep wanting to do the work because we've had a lifetime of hating on that entire system. Or if you're like super keener and love it, name them something else. But that whole thing flows with you. Like as your priorities change, so can your account names. Automation is important if you're not good at saving. If that makes you feel out of control, don't do it. So all of what I'm teaching and explaining in all realms about money is it goes back to your inner richness. Strategies are abundant. Do what honors you in, in where you want to be. And just so proud of you, Mark, watching you interact with money so differently. <laughs> it's so different. Honestly, it's so different. Like I feel so different about my credit card and my bank and my bank card. Everything feels so different. Even how you speak of wealth has completely changed, you know, and part of the buy-in around money, if you're not really feeling it, is make it a game, make it a competition for yourself, make it something fun. It doesn't have to be so serious. And when you're out buying things that trigger you, stand in your truth and be like, I am so grateful for these organic groceries or whatever it is you're doing, or I am so grateful that I get to go and 
donate my time to a charity and really feel into the value of that. Feel into the value of who you are in your day-to-day transactions. You are worthy enough to lean into that. And it doesn't always just have to be about physical cash money, the energetic feelings behind it in giving our time and showing up for friends and honoring relationships. That is love, which is tied to money. That is the same way that we ingest food. Like if you ingest food with shame, it comes into your body so differently. And I have to say that the, so Selena had me put basically like two $20 bills at like my front door, at my back door. I had them at the base of my bed, which sort of looked weird. Like I was, you know, getting paid, you know, what's up. But the, as that was happening, I'd have friends come over and they'd be like, why do you just have friggin' money sitting at your front door and your back door and wherever? Cause it would be sort of put around the house. And I had to take it out at the time. It's not like I had a magical balance that I was like, had 40s that I could just, you know, share around the house. But what it did, and and Selena taught me this, is that it makes your mind be used to abundance, be used to like a $20 bill sitting there and it's starting and it works. It's freaking works. And so I have changed my Sorry. It also got your friends talking about it, which I love. And then they started doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I have friends who are doing it now and they're like, well, Mark's changed his or like, cause they see, you know, they've known me for a long time. They know my relationship to money and it's just been really cool to observe. And I, you know, I come back to what you said earlier, which is you have this one life, this one life that you know of at least. And the rest of that subject is on another podcast, but you have this one life and like, how do you want to live it? Do you want to live in the inherited pain of your family, whether it's with money or with emotion, or do you want to change? And, and just that alone, when each moment that you have to make a different choice or learn a different skill set or educate yourself on something so you can change your life. Each time you come to that, like, how do I make a different choice? You come back to that, which is, I want to live differently. I want to claim this moment. I want to claim my future. Never again. I think never again is like one of the most powerful spaces to get to, but we often wait till it's so bad that we have to say never again, as opposed to life just being mildly uncomfortable and that being enough to change. Yeah. And even that whole perspective of like, oh, that's okay for them, but it's not okay for me. They get lucky with money, but that's not related Mm -hmm. to This allows us to really take our power back. And it can be incremental. It can be simple, but it can be potent. And really honoring the fact that, yeah, we have one life. Like I thought my life was fucking over at the base of my destruction in the hospital. My career was everything. I wanted to retire by 30. I wanted to have a bunch of wealth in the bank so I could retire so then I could be happy. And now standing, you know, several years on the other side of that, I've gotten to meet and interact with thousands of women. The ripple effect of having my pain and me going through sorting that out and honoring myself as allowed other people to do it. And I think that that's the story is that when we show up and do the work, no matter who we are, we can inspire the people who matter most to us around us to do the same. And that's the thing with money. We're not going to just snap our fingers and change the economy and society's view about money. But if we can change our life and those that matter to us and change our legacy, then life is absolutely worth it. It doesn't have to be hard. 
when we do the work and show up, things change. And looking at my business now, I, I truly feel like, wow, it has been an evolution. And are there things that I continue to work on? Of course, I'm still a hot mess half the time, but (laughs) what happens is I get to stand in appreciation for the hard work and show up more fully as myself every day. And you've helped me with that so much. And I think a good reminder is you are doing money work all of the time, especially when you're listening to this podcast or being in Mark's courses or, or leaning into mentorship and accountability. All of it is work that can be directly related to money or indirectly related to cash flow. Beautiful. So thank you for sharing you and your heart today and all the time, but you know, especially right now, thank you for exchanging your energy and your wisdom and your pain for other people to not have to go through that or, and to transform their pain that they may have experienced into quote unquote wealth, inner, inner richness, which I love that term. Um, so where do people find you to do the things? I know you have an event coming up that I get to be a part of too. I'm super excited to host you. Um, she's a money boss live. It's going to be December 3rd to 5th. And it's for women entrepreneurs wanting to rewire their relationship to money, to their business and the relationships in their nucleus. And I'm honored that you're coming and our friend Jeremy's coming. It's going to be a riot. Um, Absolutely. You're welcome to come if you identify as that. And you can find me at Selena G Money or join my She's a Money Boss Facebook group. I'd love to hear your conversation. If you agree or disagree, or you have a breakthrough of some kind in your relationship to money, I'm a big component for celebration. So I'd love to celebrate you. And what's your website to find the event and all those things too? SelenaGray.com. And spell Selena and Gray because hey. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. S-E-L-I-N-A-G-R-A-Y.com. Bam. We're going to put that in the show notes, everybody. Selena, your gift. Thank you so much for being you. I appreciate you. And thanks for sharing your love today. I appreciate you. Thank you for the work you do for all of us. Thank you.